Hello, my name is Matthias and welcome to the FPL Scope. Today we are going through the weekend walkthrough and that's where we take a look at this past weekend's Premier League matches from a fancy Premier League perspective. And we're going to start with the first match of the 2023-24 FPL season and that is Burnley against Man City. And in this match it was kind of expected. Uh, Man City went 3-0 kind of easily and Holland scores twice as we also kind of expect. Some people were talking about a goal dropped and stuff for Holland because he hadn't scored in that many games. He again struggled in the Community Shield because he tends to struggle in finals, actually. Like he hasn't really scored that much in finals and semifinals and big tournaments. But in the Premier League, he is still unstoppable and scored two really nice goals. The first one, a classic striker goal where he gets into the box at the right time. It's easy finish. The second goal, a fantastic finish uh, into the top corner. And that was 2-0 for City, who kind of just had control of the game from that point on. They did have to lose uh, an important player, though, Kevin De Bruyne, who was just back from hamstring injuries. And he went straight off again with hamstring injuries. And it seems like he's going to be out for a couple of weeks now, potentially even months. So I think the, a couple of weeks is what Pepe Guardiola said, but you never really know with these types of injuries. But that is obviously a huge loss for Man City, losing their either best or second best player, depending on who you, who you ask. Um, but yeah, that also meant that some other players got the time to shine, especially Julian Alvarez, who got the most non-penalty expected goals uh, involvement in in the game for well, in the game in total actually. He looked really good, and he was on set pieces and stuff. Got the assist for the second Holland goal. Could have scored himself as well. He's he's a fantastic striker, but he's also fantastic in in different parts of of the play as well. So I think he looked outstanding, especially for the price of six point five as a forward. It's definitely someone to watch going forward, but obviously Holland was the one going home with all the plaudits mostly, but Rodri as well, huge game from him. He had a goal and assist and got, what, 14 points, 15 points, 14 points I think Rodri got, uh, which is huge, but I know he's like the most bought player this uh, for game week two, but you shouldn't really put much stock into just one match. It's probably not going to happen that much for Rodri to score goals. Maybe, potentially, with Gundogan gone, maybe Rodri needs to take more responsibilities going off the pitch. But from like the heat maps and stuff, it doesn't seem like he's he played much more offensively than he usually or typically does for Man City. So wouldn't really buy into the Rodri hype <coughs> that much. Um, but Holland and Alvarez, for sure, really interesting. Foden actually got the chance to start at left wing. Grealish was, was benched, which is also kind of a red flag for anyone that considered Grealish. I know he hasn't been... The most popular pick Grealish before the season but especially now with him still not being completely nailed in the team he's he's by no means a good FPL pick so I think the the interest for Grealish has kind of died down and to be honest for Foden as well I wasn't really that impressed with Foden he is obviously a great player but didn't feel like he got into the game all that much really Foden he came on and sort of changed the game in the community shield but in this game against Burnley he never really got the time to shine really but for Burnley they had some some interesting stuff as well like they they looked pretty decent actually even though they lost 3-0 but it's against Man City so plenty of teams would lose 3-0 against Man City but they had some like high pressing at times that was really interesting to see against a lesser team than Man City then they could probably force a couple of uh, mistakes and stuff so I think Burnley are going to be fine in the Premier League and this result is not really indicative of anything because it's Man City and most teams will struggle against Man City. So, yeah, City still dominant. Burnley looking decent. Holland still fantastic. Alvarez looking like a fantastic pick. 
especially with set pieces. That has really surprised me as well. Uh, he's on set pieces with De Bruyne out, and obviously Mara is gone and Gundogan gone as well. So, so yeah, Alvarez sticks out to me, and Holland, of course, he is always super good. But we'll see about captaincy and gimmick too. That's a whole different discussion. But uh, let's move on to uh, the second most uh, like captain player in gimmick one, and that was Bukayo Saka for Arsenal. He actually ended up with ten points, so it wasn't that much behind Holland if you were brave enough to go against Holland in game one but Saka scored an amazing goal 2-0 fantastic shot he has shown once again that he doesn't really need much uh, expected goals in, at all to score a goal with a fantastic finish like that uh, he was also a really lucky William Saliba assist Saliba this is obviously something I have to talk about Saliba was in the starting lineup as expected but Gabriel Magalash was not in the starting lineup and that was a huge shock to, to most people but some of us were lucky enough to get like leaks about Saliba or Gabriel not starting this game and managed to swap him out for Saliba because Gabriel obviously is one of the players that I hyped up in preseason because I had no idea he was going to be dropped at all because he had the most minutes in preseason. He played every single match last season, had the most minutes last season for Arsenal as well. No indication that he was going to be dropped until like a couple minutes before the deadline. So really annoying for the, those people who didn't get to transfer him out for Saliba but in the end it was a four-point swing Saliba got five points he got an assist but he didn't get the clean sheet because Taiba Oveni scored a really nice goal he came on and showed once again that he is a fantastic striker you should really pay attention to in future game weeks once the Nottingham Forest fixtures are better but Nottingham Forest play Sheffield United at home in game week two and I think that's a fantastic fixture if you for some reason went for someone like Gibbs White or even Oveni this is the game week you're going to gain because Sheffield United, as we'll get to, are not looking good at all. But either way, Arsenal, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the first goal. Eddie Nketiah scored. He got the chance rather than Gabriel. Gabriel was uh, not starting the game and Nketiah came on and they sort of shifted their formation a bit. Party a more defensive role. And then they had uh, Howard more defensively as well and then Nketiah up front. And um, the first goal, fantastic from Gabriel Martinelli. And... I don't know. Some people have said that they were disappointed with Martinelli in this game, but obviously not the assist because <laughs> that was a fantastic assist. And he obviously, I think there's no doubt he tried to do it as well. Like I, I don't think that was just pure luck and like not <laughs> intentional. That whole setup was fantastic. The way he dribbled past players and he looked like a world beater. And I think Martinelli is super underrated. I think he's going to be nailed still. And I think he had some really good positions as well in, in the game. He just didn't get the pass at times. Uh, I I don't have him in FL myself, so I'm kind of worried about not having him. So I don't really know why people are looking into selling him, possibly, especially for gimmick two. You should definitely give him a gimmick two and probably gimmick three as well, I think, because they have decent fixtures, Arsenal. But the assist was fantastic, and I think he looked pretty good other other than the assist as well. So I was, would not sell him if I had him, and I'm actually looking into buying him potentially. So so yeah, I think Martinelli was was kind of impressive to be honest, and he's always been a fantastic player but he can even improve even more and he's still young and I think he's going to be fantastic and you don't really know maybe next game Eketia doesn't play because that's sort of the argument against Martinelli that Eketia takes up the space in the middle and Martinelli just has to stay wide and drift wide rather than going inside like he did with Trossard or Gabriel Jesus but I think Martinelli could or I, could, I think even Enketia doesn't have to start every game even though he obviously scored and impressed Arteta in between the Community Shield and this game but yeah, I think Martinelli is still a decent pick, so by all means, keep him. But Gabriel, it's a question if you want to keep him or not. I think Gabriel is obviously going to play a major part of the season for Arsenal still. 
But just that slight hint of doubt with him starting, I don't know. I, I'm pretty happy that I managed to get the Saliba thing across the line before the game crashed, on which it did for many people. But uh, but yeah, if I had Gabriel, I think I'd give him at least one more week. But because I I really like to just save the transfer for game week three uh, in in general. But if I had 0.5 to upgrade to a player that I'm gonna get to eventually, then maybe I'd do it. But we'll get to that when we get to some of the later games in the game week. But yeah, moving on to the third game that I'm going to highlight this game week, and that is between Brighton and Luton. This was the high-scoring game out of the 3 p.m. kickoff games, and that was no surprise, really, with Brighton playing against Luton, a newly promoted side. To be fair to Luton, they had actually some decent chances going going forward as well, and especially two players that, have kind, that are kind of highlighted with Luton are Ryan Giles, who took most of the set pieces for, for Luton, Perfectly, perfectly uh, executed uh, corner that went to the head of uh, Carlton Morris, who's the other player who looks looks really good for Luton. But that didn't end up being a goal because Morris headed it straight on to um, Jason Steele and the Brighton goal. But Morris would eventually get his goal on a penalty. But that was when the score was 2-0 to Brighton. And eventually Brighton just took control of the match and scored a couple goals towards the end and beat them 4-1. And honestly, honestly, they could have scored a lot more goals as well, especially if they had a different striker than Welbeck, because Welbeck was not good this match. He didn't pass at times correctly. He didn't finish that well. And then obviously Evan Ferguson came on and scored pretty much straight away. So, so yeah, I think Brighton have really high potential still, especially offensively. But at the same time, they played at home against Luton, which is going to be an easy match. But Luton, they had some things uh, to show. Especially Issa Kabore, who is the 4.0 defender many of many of you guys have. I have him in my team as well. I think he looked really frisky. He looks like a right wing right wing back who's going to be involved offensively. Obviously, he's top three for non-penalty expected goal involvement for Luton uh, in this game. So, so, yeah, he looked really good. But it was the other wing back on the other team on, well, basically the same side, but the, on the opposite side uh, in terms of positioning. And that's Purvis's opinion. He was he proved why he's such a template pick and why he's the most nailed or most picked defender in the game because he was fantastic once again and it looked like towards the end that he was going to end up with only one point because he got a stupid yellow card in the first half as well didn't really get any assists or any goals didn't get the clean sheet seemed like he was going to end up with one point but then he got an assist and he got three bonus points as well because he created six chances and and was just fantastic throughout the game so I think it's the opinion like I said this before the season as well he's someone you should just keep. You shouldn't sell him because this was one of the mistakes I did last season where I sold players that had good value that I had in my team just because they had a couple difficult fixtures. And I think it's depending on someone you should keep throughout the difficult fixtures because even against the, the best teams, like we showed last season when he got 15 points or whatever against Arsenal, he probably even got more than that. I think it was 18 potentially. Estepinan can score goals against anyone and Brighton can actually beat anyone and keep a clean sheet against anyone. So I think Estepinan is someone you should just keep in your team He's probably going to be in my team the whole season. I don't really see see myself selling him at all. He's that good. But other players for Brighton that impressed. Joao Pedro obviously got a penalty, scored the penalty. He had a huge chance at the start of the match that he missed, but he was constantly in great positions. And he sort of played as like a second striker, almost like a striker next to Welbeck at times. And even next to Ferguson eventually, because Pedro stayed on the pitch. March got subbed off. Earlier, Adingra came on and looked really good on the right-hand side. He's also competition for Mitoma. But Pedro stayed on until like the 87th minute. So the minutes risk thing is kind of overblown. 
I've kind of alluded to this in preseason as well. I think Joe Pedro is more nailed than, than you expect because he is super versatile, can play in many different positions. And he has so many, so many attributes that is really important for Brighton as well. It's a shame that he missed that big chance, but then again, he also got a pretty like soft penalty, I guess. Like he sort of got a hand next to into his face, so I guess it was a correct call, but it's kind of a soft penalty, and some some referees wouldn't have given it and wouldn't have overturned it with, with uh, VAR either. So, so yeah, could say he's lucky, but he's on pens, so that's something you get as an added positive with Joe Pedro. So for five point five, I think he's a fantastic option as a striker, and yeah, someone. You, I don't know, maybe it's too late because Brighton have tough fixtures, but I like with Estepina, I don't really worry about keeping Joe Pedro long-term. Maybe I get some other strikers that are more interesting to me because there are some really interesting forwards that I'm going to talk about eventually. But but yeah, I have no issues with keeping Joe Pedro for, for a while because he's so cheap, he's on pens. He's going to be more nailed than people expect. He's going to play mostly like 70-80 minutes most games. I know they have in CISO, I know they have Ferguson, but... Ferguson is going to take more time from uh, from Welbeck, and, and Cecil still doesn't seem like he has the trust of the Serbi that much yet. So, so yeah, Mitoma also looked fantastic. He had a, a great assist for the first goal, passed it or a perfect cross to Soli March, who scored the opening goal with with his head. March obviously got nine points, fantastic pick again as well, March. But he got subbed off early as well, so it's also something to pay attention to. Adingra again looked fantastic, scored a really nice goal. Big mistake from uh, from Luton defense, and he took advantage. I think it was Marvelous Nakamba who just basically passed it to Odingra, who shot it perfectly, uh, hit the post and in. So that was fantastic. And, and yeah, there are so many good players for Brighton. They are still so good offensively. So yeah, Ferguson is also someone you should definitely look into for that price. But we know that they have a fixture swing from maybe four onwards that is not good at all. So so yeah, it's a bit difficult with Brighton potential players. <clears throat> when it comes to Luton, like I said, Morris, Kabore, those guys were, were the standouts. Brighton had a lot of standouts, and especially as the Pinion. Then we come to Everton against Fulham, and this was the big revenge game for Bernd Leno. We know how his uh, Arsenal tenure ended, tenure ended um, Leno, and that was against Brighton when Neil Mopai was the one that injured him. And now Leno got his revenge, stopping Mopai at several instances and Mopai as you can see from the expected goal numbers 1.35 non-penalty expected goal involvement which is crazy high because he missed some huge chances to score and uh, and Everton had some huge chances to score in general to Corey as well like a mega chance where he could have passed to Garner who would have had an open net but to Corey shot it and a perfect save from Leno kept Everton from scoring she also mentioned that Everton actually had a goal disallowed which I think was kind of bullshit, to be honest. Like, It was just Leno, who had a fantastic game. He had nine saves. But in this instance, he sort of just barged into, uh, was it Tarkovsky, I think, and just lost the ball. And the ball went to Michael Keane, who scored. But then the ref had already blown the whistle, I think, before the ball crossed the line. So, so yeah, I think that was a, a terrible decision. I think Everton are really hard done by. Fulham had a couple chances, and they scored uh, through uh, Decord over Reed. And I think Andreas Pereira was close to getting the assist there. He had the pass, but it was kind of deflected. So that's why he didn't get the get assist. But, but yeah, Andreas Pereira once again looks good. But Bernd Leno, the big hero of this match for Fulham, had so many saves. But Everton, really interesting as well. If they get a good striker, I, I think Calvert-Lewin was obviously out with an injury. He was on the bench, at least. Not fully fit. Danjuma was out with an injury. 
he's also coming back into fitness. But if those guys start playing as a striker for, for Everton, either of those guys as a striker or a second striker, they could be fantastic value. And Everton still have decent fixtures at the start of the season. So I'd look into those guys as well for potentially game week three. Um, another guy that also stood out was Abdullah Dokore, who plays super offensively in the Everton system. So Everton used Amado Anana, who was also fantastic in this game, to be, to be honest. They had Ganagay, they had Dokore, and they had also, they also had Garner on one of the wings because McNeil was injured. Iwobi was also pretty offensive. Uh, but yeah, they had so many chances to score and didn't score any of them. Patterson had uh, a shot hit the bar as well, so... Everton really should have scored in this game, but Fulham nicked it, got one goal, and that was all they needed to get three points from the start of the season. So, huge win for Fulham. Didn't really look that impressive. But Mitrovic, he came on. He actually made like the second-to-last pass for the goal as well. Really well taken for Mitrovic, and it seems like he's kind of. It kind of seems like he's staying now, Mitrovic. So, he's someone to pay attention to eventually as well, because we know he's a fantastic striker if he is primed and ready to play in the Premier League still. Moving on to Bournemouth against West Ham. West Ham is my favorite team, so I actually saw this whole this whole match, watched the whole match, and um, and yeah, I think West Ham looked much better than expected. And there are some really significant things about West Ham. First of all, in goal, Ariola got the nod in front of Fabianski, which was kind of a 50-50 decision. I kind of got cold on the whole Ariola experiment right before the season started. I was kind of thinking maybe Fabianski keeps his place because there were no news about a goalkeeper change at all. But Ariola ended up starting. Did a decent job. Could have stopped the goal. Was really close to stopping the goal that Bournemouth had. But but yeah, uh, after the game, David Moyes said that he has two starting goalkeepers and uh, they both are in contention for starts. So I read that as Ariola is currently first choice. But if Ariola does a couple of mistakes, then maybe Fabianski comes straight in. And obviously the other goalkeeper, now that Ariola is the league goalkeeper, Fabianski is going to be the goalkeeper in the in the Europa League and in the Cups probably. Um, so yeah, West Ham have two decent goalkeepers, and uh, Ariola got the nod for now. Also in defense, Kursuma was named captain for this match. Obviously, Declan Rice was the captain for West Ham last season, but he has gone to Arsenal. West Ham are still not fully 100%. They are actually going to confirm the James Ward-Prowse signing uh, right now. So probably by the time you watch this video, James Ward-Prowse has been confirmed as a West Ham player. But Harry Maguire is still dragging on a bit, and he might not even join West Ham. They're, they are potentially looking at other centre-backs. But I think that's also interesting that they are looking for another centre-back when Kurt was named captain, and Aguirre was like the big money signing in defence last season. So I think Aguirre and Suma are kind of nailed. So I think if they bring in another centre-back, they might play three at the back. And potentially also, or potentially do like a like a four at the back with one of those guys as sort of like the de facto right back. With Emerson Palmieri may, maybe being able to push up along the left-hand side. So Emerson might be a good pick eventually for West Ham in the defense because he is really good offensively. But also that opens up potentially two strikers because Antonio played as a striker in this match against Bournemouth. Did a decent job as he always does. But Jared Bowen was the one to score, and Bowen is the one that Moise has mentioned as potentially playing him as a striker, because West Ham are obviously linked with Cole Palmer from Man City, who is 5.0 in fancy, by the way, so he would be a fantastic pick if he starts playing right wing for West Ham. But with him playing right wing, obviously Bowen would have to switch positions, and he would play as a striker, because that's what Moise said, that he is looking into potentially playing Bowen in one of the central positions, so that would be interesting to see. Also need to mention the midfield for West Ham. Paqueta looked fantastic. He has been linked with City. Man City for about 80, 90 million pounds, which is crazy money, I think. But he is really talented and, and played really well for West Ham. He's not one to, to not 
show up to training and not show up to matches, he is someone that is going to put his uh, put everything on the line and play his best for West Ham still. Even though it looks like he might move to City now eventually, but also got to mention Thomas Suchek, who actually got the assist for the Bowen goal. He looked much better as well. Like he's sort of taken like a backseat with uh, Declan Rice in the team, but he sort of looked like uh, the Thomas Suchek of old, who was back in the day a fantastic pick in fantasy Premier League. He scored ten goals in a single season when he was 5.0, and I think he's 5.0 now in fantasy. So he's also someone to kind of pay attention to if he gets to roam forward a bit more and and potentially score some more goals. When it comes to Bournemouth, they always had a new manager, Don Areola. He already uh, stamped his new uh, or stamped his uh, his own style of play with Bournemouth. They had 64% possession, which is uh, more than they had throughout the whole of last season. I think is actually the game against West Ham where they had 64% last season as well. So, but yeah, I think Areola because obviously Moyes plays a different system where they don't really keep possession that much. But Areola wants to implement his own stuff with Bournemouth. It's going to take some time. It did look okay throughout the match. I think West Ham actually were the better team for for quite a, a bit of the match. West Ham had a huge chance where Suchek hit the post and the ball almost went back out to Antonio, who could have scored an easy tap in. But the goal, the ball instead rolled across the line and went back to the goalkeeper instead. So it could have either gone post and in, or it could have gone post to Antonio, and it would have been a huge chance and another like add another. 0.9 in the XG column, as you see. West Ham have 1.07 expected goals, but expected goals is kind of faulty, which I'm going to talk a lot about throughout these weekend walkthroughs. But but yeah, that could have been a huge like double chance for Antonio, but Bournemouth were lucky with the bounce. And then the other big chance for West Ham in the first half, it was a corner swung in, and Paqueta hits the header from like the corner of the box. The ball goes into the middle of the of the box, and, and Antonio is like this close to touching the ball. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, and yeah, if Antonio had touched that ball, it would have been like 0.5 or something XG. So XG only counts when you get a shot off. So when you just about don't hit the ball, it counts as 0.0 XG. So it has some flaws, but but West Ham were actually the better team at the start of the game. But once Bournemouth scored. Bournemouth took over the match. West Ham kind of sit, sat back after getting the lead, and Bournemouth and invited Bournemouth into the game, and Bournemouth obliged and looked like the better team towards the end of the match. Solanke, you can see his expected goal numbers because his goal was kind of lucky. Like that, that's also another, yet another example how XG is kind of kind of faulty because um, I can't remember what's his name, Antoine Semenyo, the 4.5 striker who came on and looked fantastic. By the way, I think he could potentially play a lot for. Bournemouth but he took a wild shot that was going nowhere but it hit like a West Ham defender and the ball just ended up with Solanke in the middle of the box really lucky and Solanke gets the ball <clears throat> really nice of Solanke to get control of the ball he kind of gets or he gets past Ariola, who's really close to stopping stopping Solanke going through and then he has an open net to score and that's like 0.8 I think it was 0.73 or something xg so that's part of the reason why Solanke has such a high number. But if that wavered shot from Semenyo goes just straight out, then Semenyo doesn't get anywhere near that expected goal number. So expected goal numbers are more throughout the season because obviously it's going to even itself out over the season because sometimes the lucky bounce goes to Solanke, sometimes the lucky bounce doesn't go to Solanke. That's going to even out across the season. But in just one game, it doesn't really tell you that much. It's just a nice reminder for me looking at it to just see 
what happened in the game and what were the big chances in the game. But, but yeah, 1-1 one, one between Bournemouth and West Ham. Both teams looked decent, I guess. I think both teams will be clear of relega- relegation, but at the same time, both teams could be susceptible to concede a lot of goals. And that's that's why I think Salah is still a decent option for captaincy. Still the best option probably for captaincy in game two against Bournemouth. Because especially at Anfield, I think they have a chance to, to beat Bournemouth quite convincingly. Because West Ham got a couple of huge chances against Bournemouth. And that means Liverpool could get even bigger chances and even more chances against Bournemouth. Next up, we have Sheffield United against Crystal Palace. And this was a really easy win for Crystal Palace. Ibrahim say blanked. He only got three points for my team. Uh, he was the only player that blanked for my team, by the way. But he looked fantastic. Like, he had two great set pieces that should have been goals. Edward missed one of the headers. Joachim Anderson missed the other one. Essay also had a really nice double chance when, when shooting in the first half as well. Just hits uh, the block, hit the Sheffield United defenders and stopped the goal. Uh, but yeah, Palace were pretty much in control of this whole game. Sheffield United at home, still no match really for, for Crystal Palace, who aren't even like expected to be among the top 10 teams of the league. So I think Sheffield United will struggle quite a lot, and I'm probably thinking that they're going down. But one player that did impress for Sheffield United is the 4.5 striker, Ozula. So I didn't mention actually Mubama, who's kind of been like the favorite 4.5 attacker. He didn't play at all for West Ham, even when they needed a goal to win the match. So... I don't think Mubama will get that much playing time, especially with Bowen is going to play up front. Antonio is going to play up front a little bit. Ings came on and played up front. So I don't think Mubama will get that many chances in the league. I think he's more kind of like a Europa League player. So if you have him, then eventually you might want to move to a different 4.5 attacker, but that's obviously not a priority transfer. But if I started over again, I'd probably go with either Semenyo or Asula. But Asula looked fantastic for, for Sheffield United. He had like the two decent chances for them. He had one shot in the first half that just went wide, and then in the second half he had a, another shot that also just went wide, but hit the side netting, actually. But that was a really good shot from Masula, who's a really young guy. I think he's like 18, 19 or something. But he still like looks like kind of like the total package. Like He has a pretty good physical profile, seemed pretty sharp when it comes to shooting, even looked pretty like uh, good with the ball and like moving around pretty freely. So, so Osula is re- definitely someone to watch. Uh, and I think he should start still for Sheffield United. Obviously, they are linked with a different 4.5 attacker, which is Cameron Archer, who plays for Aston Villa. But but yeah, that might lessen the appeal of Asula. But there are some decent 4.5 attackers that might uh, present themselves eventually. So, so yeah, keep a look for look out for them. When it comes to Palace, though, as a fantastic, he was involved in pretty much every chance that Crystal Palace had. And they had quite a lot of them because they had 2.01 expected goals. He was really good with passing. He's really good with uh, crossing from set pieces. Fantastic set pieces from SA. So, so yeah, despite the blank from him, I'm not worried as an SA owner. I think he's going to be great across the season and someone you should probably just keep throughout like rough patches and stuff. I think maybe he's the new Saha. Maybe he's the type of guy that blanks when you expect him to score and then scores a lot when you expect him to blank. But we'll see about that. <clears throat> Moving on to the next few matches, we have uh, the last three matches, actually. And uh, the final match of the Saturday games was probably the most interesting match because it was Newcastle and Aston Villa, two teams that are expected to be in the top half, probably even pushing for Champions League spots. And Newcastle completely dominated Aston Villa in the end. Um, yeah, it was kind of crazy seeing Aston Villa's high line and seeing Newcastle just keep 
like destroying <laughs> Aston Villa basically towards the end of the match. But Aston Villa actually looked really good at the start of the, the match. Especially Moussa Diaby, who's fantastic. We we know that he is. I've said fantastic so many times in this video, by the way, but some players are just fantastic. But uh, Diaby, like I said, looked fantastic. Uh, he created a lot of chances. He had a lot of chances. Scored a really nice goal as well from a Watkins assist. So Watkins and Diaby, it seems like they already have like a nice connection. They almost come uh, like um, combined for a goal in the second half as well when Cash passed or Cash Diaby passed it through to Watkins who had a really nice like step over ankle breaker sort of move against uh, I think it was Botman potentially fell down completely Watkins kind of a poor finish which is the one draw drawback with Watkins and then Cash had a huge chance on the rebound as well that he missed so Aston Villa looked really frisky offensively but defensively really suspect and obviously Tyrone Mings had to go off with what looked like an ACL tear which is awful for him um yeah he it seemed like he's going to it seemed like he was going to keep his place despite Aston Villa getting Diogo Carlos back from injury and Pau Torres in who is a fantastic player in his own right uh but yeah Mings had to go off Pau Torres came on and Aston Villa kind of struggled mightily with their high line and uh against Newcastle who have such pacey really good players one of them being Harvey Barnes Another one being Anthony Gordon, and then you have the strikers Wilson and Isak. So yeah, as you can see from my notes there, left wing plus center forward equals what the fuck are we supposed to do? Like, because <laughs> Anthony Gordon impressed, looked fantastic, he got oh, fantastic again, looked amazing, and uh, had a great cross for the first goal for Tonali, who also looked amazing. Um, and then Barnes came on, scored one goal, got got one assist, I think, uh, got a lot of points. He looked great. Isak, two beautiful goals, 13 points for Isak, kept showing why he's such a highly coveted striker for Newcastle. And then Wilson came on and scored and had another huge chance as well that he missed. That was like barely missed because Martinez, I mean Martinez did a, did a great save. So yeah, four players that looked absolutely amazing for, for Newcastle, but they do compete for two positions, these four players, so... It's impossible to predict who's going to start, and especially with the first few matches being being difficult for Newcastle. It's a team to stay away from initially, I think, even though they, they looked so incredible against Aston Villa. So, so yeah, you could go for Isak if you, if you really want to. He is obviously going to play most of the minutes for, for Newcastle, but sometimes he's going to be played on the left wing and won't be as good as we saw towards the end of last season when Wilson thoroughly outplayed him and made guys like me lose a lot of rank, so... So yeah, I think it's difficult to predict Newcastle's team, especially the left wing and center forward position, but they look like a team that are going to fight for Champions League spots yet again, potentially even better than last season. We'll we'll see when they get Champions League rotation. But yeah, Aston Villa looked good at times, bad at other times. It's going to be interesting to see them in Game Week 2, especially Newcastle play against Man City. It's going to be a huge test for them. Aston Villa play against uh, Everton. Everton actually looked pretty good in, in the first game week in terms of uh, what happened on the pitch, apart from the goals, apart from in both boxes. But those that's going to be two really interesting matches that we'll, we'll talk about in next weekend's we can walk through, or next week's we can walk through. Then we have Brentford and Spurs, and also I can talk about Chelsea and Liverpool sort of in the same breath because these games were kind of similar. They had, fant again, fantastic. They had really exhilarating first halves with a lot of goals, and then the second halves were kind of boring. So... Uh, yeah, going first with the Brentford and the Spurs game. Just a lot of goals early on. Madison got a free kick. Madison, by the way, he was the 
probably the most standout player out of the whole weekend for me. He was involved in everything for Spurs. Guys like Hongmin Son and Richardson. There's so many Sons in uh, in uh, Spurs, by the way. Madison, Richardson and uh, Hongmin Son. Uh, but Madison looked like the talisman for Tottenham. And he looks like the player to own in Fans Premier League. 7.5 midfielder. Took every set piece. Oh, pretty much every set piece. Was involved in pretty much everything. And got two assists. The second assist was pretty lucky, but still... He could have had even more assists as well. He was a fantastic player. He's always been a great FPL player for a lesser team in Leicester. And now he plays for Spurs. Spurs looks really interesting under Postacoglu. They had a difficult matchup against Brentford, who played a style that kind of doesn't suit Spurs because Brentford are in a low block and then they counter like crazy on you. And guys like Rico Henry looked great for, for Brentford. He actually got an assist and uh, could have had another assist as well because Mbouemo had a pretty huge miss. Uh, kind of like Joe Pedro, Mboemo had a huge miss on an open goal, but then he got the penalty and scored a penalty to to make up for it and get the points. So Jan Vista as well scored a goal. I mentioned this previously that I think Brentford could score a couple goals in, against Spurs and that both Mboemo and Vista were, were good options and uh, they, that proved to be right. Um, yeah, both of those guys are people to, to um, consider, but Madison is the one to consider from Spurs, especially. You also have Destiny Dogi, who didn't really get to, to show what he can do in this game, because like I said, Brentford have this style of play where they have a lot of players packed into, like right in front of the box, making it really difficult for those types of runs that Destiny Dogi really likes to do in between the, the, the winger and the striker, in between Son and uh, Richarlison. That's where he operates mostly, but but yeah, he looks offensive. He started the match as well. Pedro Porro is the one that was dropped for Emerson Real to have that sort of defensive right back and offensive left back, uh, if you will, at least a more defensively sound uh, right back. But to be fair to Dogi, he actually came out on top a couple times against Mbwemo defensively as well. So Destiny, no worries about his playing time. He's going to be pretty much nailed for Spurs. He's going to play super offensively and he's going to show a lot more in the next couple of matches where they don't play a similar team to Brentford, where they play a different style. He probably would have suited more playing as someone like Chelsea or Liverpool, which which we'll get to. But, but yeah, Spurs, Madison, the the, the giant standout. Brentford and Buemo looked, looked great, had a huge chance and got the penalty and took set pieces. Wissel looked, uh, looked good, scored his goal. Henry looked amazing. I think Henry is also one of the most underrated players in the whole league or at least underappreciated players in the whole league because... Yeah, I think he should be should be competing for a spot with the England team. To be honest, like he's right behind when it comes to left backs, and we'll get to one of them, uh, Ben Chilwell, who plays for England. But yeah, Luke Shaw, Ben Chilwell, and Rico Henry. I think English left backs in general are not appreciated enough compared to some of the right backs because there's always been like a right back problem. So many good right backs, but England have a lot of good left backs as well, and Henry is is probably the third best out of them, potentially the best left back in the league. It's between him and Shaw is Ben Chilwell, and he was the standout player for Chelsea against Liverpool. He basically played as a left winger or potentially even a striker, I've heard some people say, because Nicholas Jackson drops down a little bit uh, a couple times. Uh, but yeah, Chilwell was, Chilwell was as offensive or even more offensive than advertised. So, so yeah, the Salsi at the back, Chilwell in attack. Chelsea are probably not going to win the league, but they are looking much better than they did last season already. Uh, this early and now they have bought Caicedo most likely they might or it's here we go by Romano so Caicedo is coming in 
Romeo Lavia might come in as well to strengthen the weakest point for, for Chelsea and Leicester midfield. That's also kind of the weakest point for Liverpool, who are still looking for that number six role player that is going to be important for them. But one of the midfield signings for Liverpool, McAllister, was was one of the ones that really stood out to me in this match. So, so yeah, uh, this was also a match that was much more exciting in the first half. Actually, see now that there's a little bit wrong with the color coding there. I have it as a Chelsea win with the green compared to the red, but it kind of felt like a Chelsea win because they looked like a better side. And I expected Liverpool to win this match, to be honest, and uh, and they didn't because Chelsea looked much better than than expected. Um, Chilwell and James on each side were fantastic. Let's start. There's that word again. Enzo Fernandez was the man of the match and deservedly so. He's uh, he's probably worth his price even, uh, <laughs> which is less than what Caicedo cost. Uh, which is kind of crazy. Caicedo costs more than Declan Rice, who is Chelsea born and bred as well. So yeah, kind of weird uh, transfer strategy there by, by Chelsea. But in terms of their hiring process of the manager, which is Pochettino, it seems like they've gotten that right because Pochettino is perfect perfect for this type of team, a team that are trying are trying to find themselves. Uh, Pochettino is a manager who gets the most out of young players and gets the most out of players trying to to become like superstars, and that's what Chelsea have a lot of. Nick Jackson is included with that. He had some decent chances as well. Didn't have the best finishing in this game, but he looked really promising as well. And especially for Chelsea's fixture swing, which is happening right now, to be honest, because they have they have West Ham in the in the next game, and then after that they have Luton at home and what Nottingham Forest at home or something. Yeah, Chelsea players are really something to target going forward. Chilwell is one of one of them. I mentioned earlier that if you have Gabriel, you could potentially think about switching him out for Chilwell. I think that's definitely a possibility. We we're going to talk a little bit about like the players that really stood out uh, after this. But, but yeah, Chelsea was impressive. This game could have gone either way, but it was pretty boring after the after the first half. The first half was really interesting and really fun. And also, I'd be remiss to to not mention the VAR removed goals. Both Salah and Chilwell had goals scored that were disallowed by VAR. Both of them obviously correct. Uh, by quite a quite a margin as well. Like it's difficult as a linesman to to see to see that, and it's moving quickly. So if you stop the images just a little bit before they're onside, so so yeah, really close to being a goal each for Chilwell and Salah, which was which would obviously be fantastic for me uh, as someone who has both of those players. But but yeah, uh, the goals didn't stand, and they got one assist each instead. Which is is fair enough. That's that's a good return for both of them. Salah also interestingly interestingly got subbed off earlier in the match than expected. He was subbed off after like seventy five minutes or something, and he was not happy about it at all. Which is understandable. Like it's one one against Chelsea, and they sub off Salah in the first game of the season. It's not like he's tired or something like that. So, so yeah. Some people have speculated that maybe he gets put on the bench next time, but we've seen this before. Salah gets mad, and then the next game he starts, and he's super selfish and scores a lot of goals. So, personally, as a Salah owner, as someone who has always thought about captaining Salah in Game 2 against Bournemouth at home, that's still 100% the plan for me. I think Salah could could have a fantastic game, and it's fantastic, amazing game, uh, otherworldly game against Bournemouth. Uh, and at the same time, Man City are playing against Newcastle, who are coming off a huge win against Aston Villa. So I don't think Holland is that good of an option in gimmick two, and I think Salah is going to be the best option, really. But yeah, at the end we're gonna mention a couple of names that are looking better and worse after this opening game week. When it comes to the best looking players, maybe not physically, but at least uh, in terms of uh, being good footballers. But 
I don't know, I, those guys are handsome, I guess. But uh, Ben Chilwell, first and foremost, he is kind of a template pick. But if you don't have him, I know a lot of people don't have him, I, especially in, in my personal like leagues and stuff. People have neglected Chilwell because they're unsure about Chelsea and the first opening fixtures. But Chilwell looks like someone you, you must own, especially if he's going to stay fit and healthy. Then you have Moussa Diaby, who was, was the main man for Aston Villa. He looks like potentially the best 6.5 midfielder, but I think pretty much all the 6.5 midfielders impressed <laughs> mostly. Apart from Mudrik, who was benched, but and Bernardo Silva and those guys. But those guys aren't really talked about. I'm I'm mentioning more that like the big four. Mitama looked great. Diaby looked uh, looked awesome. And then you also have Mbuemo who got the penalty and scored. And you also have Essay who, despite blanking, had a really impressive game as well. But then for 1 million more, you can get Madison for 7.5. And that honestly might be something I have to do eventually for for someone. I don't know. Maybe because I'm, I'm probably selling Salah in game week 3 to, to get a lot of money uh, after Salah, after Salah's captaincy in game week 2. And Madison is definitely one I'm considering for sure. So he's also someone you should consider because he looks like the main man for Spurs. And he might even be on penalties. We don't really know yet who's on penalties for, for Spurs. When it comes to players that... Might not look as good uh, after gaming one. We have Gabriel Magalhaes, obviously. He was surprisingly benched. And uh, you're not going to be sure about rotation anymore. So going from Gabriel to Chilwell is probably the only game you do if you have 0.5 in the bank and before the price rise or price fall of those players. That's probably the only like gaming two move I would suggest because usually you don't really get that much information from one game. It's only one game after all. The next game, it could be completely different. It's going to be a different opponent. It's going to be a different day, a different like daily form type of thing as well. So it's hard to really get much out of one match. We can get quite a lot of information, which is what I've tried to convey in this uh, this video, which is going on for entirely too long now. But uh, but yeah, I think uh, Gabriel Chilwell might be the only gimmick two transfer I might recommend because it's usually better to save a transfer in gimmick two and then have two transfers in gimmick three to make bigger changes and be able to change more with your team with two transfers without taking a hit as well. But yeah, apart from Gabriel, Mubama as well. Doesn't look like the 4.5 attacker that we were kind of expecting him to be to get some minutes and stuff. He didn't get any minutes at all in opening match and there are better 4.5 attackers presenting themselves. But honestly, I wouldn't switch 4.5 attackers either because even in game week three, because it's sort of just like a bench player that doesn't really matter that much anyway. But if you're going for a 4.5 forward, don't go with like the most popular pick in Mubama. Go with someone like Usula or potentially even Semenyo or Archer if he moves clubs or Balogun if he moves clubs. Fuller and Balogun has been rumored to go from Arsenal to, uh, to West Ham actually. So he's someone to to take note of as well. And then Jack Grealish, if his stock wasn't down already, I think now especially with him not starting in game one, if you can't really trust his playing time either, I don't really know really know if he's that worth it for, for Man City. So so yeah, those three guys are not as interesting uh, going forward. But you have the other three guys on top that are really in consideration for, for most squads, I'd assume. So so yeah. That has been the weekend walkthrough. Uh, it's been almost 45 minutes of uh, just discussing this weekend's matches. There have probably been a lot of things that I've uh, forgotten about. Yeah, I was actually going to mention the, in the Aston Villa game about the whole potential red card thing for Emi Martinez. I thought I thought it was supposed to be, or it should have been a red card for Martinez uh, pulling down, uh, who was it again? Uh, i got to go back to, to the screen. 
um, against Newcastle. Yeah, he pulled down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I can't remember. I can't remember. I think it was Anthony Gordon. No, it was uh, Almiron, of, of course. Uh, yeah, Martinez pulled down Almiron, and I think it should have been a red card because I think Almiron easily could have just ran straight into the box and scored because there is no goalkeeper in the goal to save it. I know there were defenders back, like two or three defenders even, but they can't save the ball with their hands. So I think it was a clear goal scoring opportunity for Almiron, and I think it should have been a red card for Martinez. But that would have only started like the demolition demolition of Aston Villa earlier. So so yeah, uh, but yeah. Either way, that has been the weekend walkthrough. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you tune in for the next few things that I'm going to have this uh, this week. I'm going to have the zombie team take a look at how that did in game week one, and uh, yeah, I'm going to do the weekly walker draft on on Wednesday, Thursday. I'm going to have the FPL podcasts, FPL scope podcast even with uh, Kevin, and then Friday I'm going to have the team selection. Where I'm going to talk about my team and potential like stuff I need to fix uh, with my team eventually so stay tuned for that subscribe if you are if you're new if you've seen a couple of videos and you haven't subscribed yet please please do i would greatly appreciate it i'm going to try to reach as many subscribers as possible and hopefully 10,000, which is kind of a lofty expectation um at the, before the start of the next season that's that's my goal at least but yeah that's been it for me thank you and uh, goodbye